Downloading UW Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Campen. Today's special guest is Hilton Nathanson, Bachelor of Commerce graduate who's currently based in London, United Kingdom. Hilton's the founder of Red Deer, CEO of Firefly Capital, and founder of Marble Bar Asset Management. It's a great chat with Hilton who talks about his time as Perth, his passion for trading, what took him to London, and how he got his first job. And it's interesting how many applications he submitted, and the one job he wanted is the only one he got accepted an interview for. And also about why he gives back to UWA, his time at UWA, and for those current students or recent graduates looking to start their own business, it gives you some advice there. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, and the podcast starts now. All right. As an accomplished and respected business professional, you've undoubtedly amassed a wealth of knowledge through your career and life experience, and it all started when you moved to London to follow your passion as a trader. Uh, where did the passion come from, and why London? Right. Um, the passion actually started when I was very young. My father was a director of some yeah. public companies in Australia, sure. and the first thing I used to do after getting home from school was going to the newsagent, going to the papers, and looking at page 54 or 55, and looking at how the share prices were doing, and wow. I was hooked at a pretty young age. Then I had an uncle who lived in, um, in Perth, um, and he was the first person in Western Australia that had a Reuters machine. This was about 1984, 85. Wow. I mean, no one had Reuters machines, <laughs> even in the stockbroking firms, let alone private clients. So I used to leave school, go and sit with him, and I was fixated very early on. Why are these share prices moving around on his screen? What's actually happening here? And I was hooked. And so a combination of my father and then my uncle, and I was done. That's amazing. So really, there was nothing else you were going to get into. Trading was, was the career. No, I knew immediately. And was London always the place where you like? No, not at all, actually. Okay. I, I, I finished UWA in 92. And my father was a client at a number of stockbroking firms, so I, I got interviews there and I was talking to them. And they are all going to offer me a job, not because of any specific talent necessarily, yeah. but because my father was a client and I knew people. So it would have been quite easy to get a job in Perth. And one of them said to me, why don't you think about going to London? In fact, there's a guy called Ray Porter from a firm in, 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 in Perth. He said, why don't you think about a year or two in London? Mm. And I'd never thought of that, actually. I thought, oh, I'll just stay in Perth. Yeah. And I had a friend who graduated at UWA the year before who'd gone to London and he was out there. And thirdly, my father is British, so I have a British passport. Yep. And I went home one day and thought, do you know what, actually, what have I got to lose? A year or two in London, work in the city if I can, then come back to Perth. And so that's how my journey to London started. And you haven't basically left London since? No, I've been there 27 <laughs> years. I come back periodically. My father lives here. I've still got family here. I love Perth. It still feels like home, sent me home. Um, but um, London, London's been where I've been for 27 years. Is that possibly, I guess, what you said was probably the turning point and pivotal in, in the, one of your factors in your career journey was going to London? Probably, yeah, that was certainly one of them. And then secondly, look, you know, everyone says you need luck. You do need luck, mm. but you know, hard work helps and, and it's when it comes together. Um, I was fortunate in a way. I, I was working in a stockbroking firm in London for about nine months. Um, not in London, actually, in Birmingham. And... I couldn't get into a job in London. This was 92, it was a recession. And I sent all my CVs to London firms. And the one firm I really wanted to work for was Goldman Sachs, because in those days, everyone wanted to work for Goldman's. Mm. My CV was okay. It wasn't particularly amazing. It was all right. The people far smarter, better than me, more, more, um, more qualified. But I just really wanted it. And so I could have wrote to Goldman's, kept writing. Eventually, I got an interview, and I met a man called Michael Hinsey, who's now Sir Michael Hinsey, He's actually Australian, lovely guy. And um, I interviewed there, I had 50 interviews in a day, had to remember all the people I'd met. And they all said the same thing to me. Hilton, there's smarter people than you. 
which makes me feel great. <laughs> I know, it's fantastic, isn't it? At least they're honest. But there's something about you that we feel you want this. You really want this. You want this more than most people we've met. And we're going to give you a chance. And so I remember getting the offer from Goldman's, walking down embankment in London with this sort of contract and this offer, just thinking, gosh, I really can't believe that's happened. I've been in London a year, and suddenly here I am at the premier investment bank in the world with a CV that's not really amazing. And you know, I just was counting my lucky stars. So the break, I think, for me was actually just getting into Goldman's with, you know, having been in London for a year. But it's something that you clearly wanted. wanted and yeah. it's interesting because I guess t- in today's day and age in 2019, everyone's sending off their CVs via, you know, Seek or Indeed or what, whatever yeah. online, I guess, CV tool that they can put submit job applications yeah. to. And, you know, people saying, oh, I've applied for three, four, five hundred jobs and not getting an interview. I mean, even back in the 90s, it was just simply you're, you're writing them. Were you making phone calls as well to Goldman and Sachs? Yeah, so I, had, I have 150 CVs that I wrote off to wow. all, all the member firms in London Stock Exchange, and the one I wanted most was Goldman's. I wrote three CVs to Goldman's, one their private clients, one the UK Institutional Department, and another to their Human Resources Department. So I sort of mail shot at different times. Mm-hmm. And bizarrely, I got two interviews at Goldman's in two different departments and oh. 149 rejections from all the other firms. So to this day, I can't understand how the one firm I wanted to work for came back with two separate interviews in two different locations in, within Goldman's. And the others were all just rejected. And so I think there's something powerful about, you know, and I I tell this to my kids and to people, if you really want something, you really, really want it, people pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And somehow the sort of universe clears a path and it helps you get there. So if you don't really know where you're going to go or you're just applying for a job because it's a job or because it's one of many things, Mm -hmm. the chances of you getting that are much, much lower than if you say to yourself, that's the one I want and I'm really going to go for it. And so for me that career opportunity and that break that I had was just me, I suppose, transmitting the fact I wanted that more than somebody else and I was going to go for it. And that was the lucky break that happened. And sometimes it's just meant to be. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. They say that you know, the world clears a path for someone who knows where they want to go. Um, and I was absolutely hell-bent on going to London, working for Goldman's and getting on with it. And that's what happened. Now, success doesn't stop there. You launched Marble Bar Asset Management in 2002, yeah. selling it in 2008 and requiring it back in t- 2013. But the same year you created Firefly Capital. Um, but what have you been in your greatest career obstacles? I mean, there's a lot of success yeah. there, but everyone always hears about the success right. stories. Has there been times where things that you've struggled to absolutely absolutely i mean i've had more struggles than successes i think it's, it's like cricket you know you sort of celebrate your hundreds but how many times do you get sort of you know some <laughs> some, some, some runs you never think about again but that's what the building blocks are mm. to help you do well look there's a couple of things actually trading for one is a really difficult profession i love it it's my passion but it is very very intense you know sometimes you're up 24 7 the market's never shut you right. go on holiday you never really rest the markets mm. don't stop So your lifestyle and what you're doing is incredibly, incredibly hectic and pressurized. Secondly, when you're running money for clients, you know, that's very demanding and you get each month your your net asset value gets reported. So there's no hiding. There's no stopping. There's never a time of just actually sort of winding down. You are constantly on the go. And when you're trading overnight markets and you're on a holiday and you've got clients phoning, you're having a bad month and someone's ringing up saying, why are you losing? It's relentless. So the fear of burnout and the sort of issue of, gosh, you know, this is a really difficult, difficult um, task to keep running at 24-7 definitely takes a toll. I don't think I burnt out, but I think there were times where I was, wow, this is really, really, I do need to slow down. So I think that was... That was definitely one challenge, is just actually physically doing that. And secondly, within trading, look, for any successful um, careers or people, they always teach you about delegation. It's so key to have people around you and to delegate. 
Delegating your trading is a very difficult thing to do. How do you get someone to have the DNA of your trading to teach them your styles, your methods, to be comfortable that they're investing your capital in a way that you're happy with? So being able to delegate properly and effectively within trading, I think is as difficult as in other professions. And thirdly for me, Josh, selling my business and then buying it back. You know, there was a part of me that sort of, my soul died when I sold the business. Yeah. When, when, when you have a business and it's yours and it's passionate, you're passionate about it, you can't recreate that. Once you've sold it, it's gone. Mm. So when I sold to EFG, um, I said some of that was probably the most miserable time in my life where I was just working for them and I felt, wow, I, I can't replicate something. Something's died, I can't get it back. And so for me, the only way of getting that back was actually reacquiring the business and getting control of it again very difficult periods in life. No one's going to cry for me or worry for me. You know, I sold the business. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew I, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. But I think for every person that's ever sold a business, they will tell you something dies and you can't replace that. And so a lot of them just go on to become to do something else because they have to feel ownership and control of something. And can so, you prepare yourself for and can you prepare anybody to sell their business? Because you said you're part of, you know, you're part of your I don't think dies. so. I don't think so. It's like a new experience in life. How do you tell a parent what it's like to have kids till they've had kids? You can't really. Mm. It's a little bit like someone who sets a business up. They're not ready for what's going to happen when yeah. they sell a business. Yeah. I think you've got, you've got to go through that. Once I did it once, I would now know what to expect. But I think the first time someone sells a business, you have to say, you have to really be prepared for this. A part of you is going to die when you sell that business. You have to be prepared for that. Have you had many friends and colleagues that have done similar things? Uh, in terms of selling businesses? Yeah, yeah. Into, um, not that many, actually. Not that many. I've had a couple I've spoken to and tried to give some... <laughs> Try to give some advice. Yeah. Um, I think as well, Josh. You know, one one lesson I've learnt myself from when you do sell a business. If you're then if you're then working for someone, or someone was to acquire you, and your role has changed in the sense that your environment's different, or you've got managers, or you've got someone working for you, subconsciously, you change a little bit. You're 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 not as free as you were. You're more sure. conscious of letting them down. You're more worried about what they may or may not think, or what they may do. And so my advice, apart from just saying a part of you is going to die, is to just say. Just do what it was that you were doing before you sold the business. Don't worry about who now owns it. Don't worry about it. Don't try and feel you need to change or do anything. I would say there were some of the mistakes I made, which was just trying to do things differently to appease my owners and to do things for for them and not really stick to what I was what I'd done historically. So that was a lesson for me. Don't change what what it was that got you there yeah. because now someone else owns you. And then what let's go back to I guess even the burnout. It, yeah. You know, you said you got close. Have you even in your current roles and you, have you ever seen staff who are like, oh, they're teetering on the edge of burnout? Have, are you able to identify totally. that? Yeah. yeah, totally. You you can see it. I mean, trading is such a fine line between success and failure. Your environment, who's around you, what you're doing, how you're looking after yourself, all these factors matter so much. Um, typically, you'll see someone burning out. There's, there's, there's certain things. They'll tend to be trading quite badly for a period of time. Yeah. Then they'll work harder at it. They'll try and sort of thrash themselves. They'll try and stay up later. They'll try and overtrade. They do they do things that aren't normal kind of trading habits, and sure. they're often patterns that someone's just starting to do things differently. Yeah. And the style of what they do. So you look for style drift. Okay. And that's normally a pretty good sign that someone's just beginning to to burn out. And there's different phases of burnout. You know, burnout could be having a bad run in trading for a few mm. years. It could be you're at a stage where you're just exhausted mm. mentally and physically. I've definitely seen it um, and it's quite a shocking thing to see actually. Now what are the strengths and skills that have been most important to you, your success? Um, Josh look I think I was very lucky that I found something I loved and wanted to do. I tell my kids that I don't care what it is you do just find something you love and give a hundred percent. So that is a very 
you know, I had a big advantage in starting in that particular place. I think what I didn't realise at the time is that the skill set that I have, the personality that I have, I think is I have two things, I think, above anything that, that helps me in my current role. One, I love people. I love people, dealing with people. I mean, markets are just an arena of buyers and sellers. It's just people, which mm. I love and I'm fascinated by. So I'm in, a, in, a, I'm in an area and a business that I love, and I, I like developing relationships, which helps me develop businesses. Yeah. Um, the second thing is that I'm a little bit of a child. So I like lots of things. You know, I like lots of choice, lots of things. My PA says to me, she's never, ever booking me a flight that I can't change because she'll always say, I'll change it, I'll do something. And I like having that optionality. In trading, you have to make lots of decisions about lots of different factors and information quite quickly. I think my personality lends itself quite well to that, to just having lots of information thrown at me, juggling balls and making decisions. I'm not sure I was even aware of, aware of that at the time. I don't think I even knew my personality when I was 18. I don't think I knew who I was or, or what I was. Yeah. But I was fortunate that my personality suited trading, um, and that would be the thing that I would say I, I, I'm most in sync with is, is that. Now, you, love, you said you love people. It's a yeah. soft skill a lot of employers want. Is yes. that something you can actually teach somebody? Yes, I believe you can. Yeah. I think you can, actually. I think, it's, I think if I look back at my school days, you know, it's really interesting. And I'm sure, Josh, if you, if you thought about this yourself... As a child, you're quite instinctive. Right? Mm. You know, when you think about your teachers, who was good, who was bad, mm. who really should have been there, who wanted to teach, who loved teaching. What do you pick up on? You pick up on passion. So you learn the teacher. Yeah. And a really good teacher has an impact with you that lasts for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. I had an amazing teacher who, who died, actually, our English teacher at school that I grew up in, who was the most wonderful person. And before she died, I sent her a letter saying, I'm really sorry to hear that you're, you're so sick. She had three months to live. And I said, I just want to let you know that you had a massive impact on me. I'm not sure you remember me, but I'm, you know, Hilton and I was in your class and you really had an impact on me. And she wrote back, just saying, I'm, of course I remember you and, and, and uh, I'm really flattered to get your, your, your letter. Um, and um, and she, you know, she, she was fine. The, per the reason for saying this is that there's an instinct that you, just, that you just have, that you just know who's kind of, you know, who's kind of got something about them and who doesn't. And so if you can just learn from the people that have got something and use them as your role models and guidance in life to say, what was it about this woman? Her name was Mrs. Dallard. What was it about Mrs. Dallard that I loved and that I found connection with? She was passionate and she loved people and she just oozed enthusiasm and she transmitted an energy that was positive. And so if you go through your life just looking at qualities in people mm. and looking for the good in people and only trying to find things in people you respect, or you like, yeah. you can emulate that. You can just teach yourself to copy those things. And the negatives and the things and people you don't like, you just ignore. Mm. And you don't comment on, you don't mention. Um, and so the brain can only really pick up a positive or negative at one time. It can't do both. If you just teach yourself to just focus on positivity and role model and, and emulate people yeah. who, you, you know, who aspire to be, the mind can quite quickly pick up on that. It's funny you touch on that because you got me thinking about all the great teachers I yeah. had back in primary school and high school and how much of an impact they've they had on you and you still think about them yeah. today. Did you have that at UWA as well? Were there some lecturers that had some really big impact on you when it comes to leadership? I'd love to say yes because <laughs> I'm at UWA. Yeah. It's different actually, George. It's different because I think at uni, you're slightly more one step removed in a sense. The classes are bigger. Yeah. It's slightly more in person. Mm. You, know, you don't rock up to a class. Nobody cares. Some lecturers might not know who you are after a year. So there's a different experience. Obviously, you've got your tutorials and your groups. I didn't find that experience personally at, at uni where I could, I could think of some lecturers that I had, you know, I enjoyed the lectures mm. from. Yeah. And I got a lot, of, a lot out of that. But the connection is slightly one step removed. So I think it's up to you yourself mm. to keep finding these people uh, in, in life. Um, yeah. The one thing I have 
no time for at all is when people complain. So if someone's in a job and they're telling me either they don't like their boss or they don't like their work, mm. I'm like, look, are you going to change it or are you going to sit there for the next five years complaining about it? Because it's not going to change if you don't tell anyone and it's not going to change if you don't do anything. Mm. So you have to learn to, to adapt those situations and to move on yourself. If you don't, you'll end up just having a sort of you know, miserable time there. And so it's up to the individual to take that to take that responsibility. So that, that, that just shows you what a sign of leadership really is in, in yeah. you and just even your colleagues. Uh, but what does a business leader look like to right. you? Okay. Yeah, leadership's a funny one, isn't it? There's lots of yeah. different sort of examples of leadership and mm. people have different definitions of leadership. You know, for me, I think sort of, you know, what does a leader do? A leader actually, um, they, they deal in hope. Right. They deal in hope, but they communicate reality. Sure. You, you look at the great leaders, so Winston Churchill, you know, what, what, was he, what was so amazing about him? He didn't pull the wool over the eyes of people. He didn't tell them things were great. He was communicating to everybody how bad and how dire the situation was, but yet he still managed to find hope. And so you know, I always think people aren't stupid. You can't pull the wool over people's eyes. They're not, they're not silly. They know. And no one wants to hear a sort of energetic CEO, you know, beating his chest, telling how wonderful they are, when all the staff know that it's not, it's not good. So I always think you have to be totally honest to your staff and communicate exactly what's going on, but always inspire, inspire hope. That's what I think the best, the best leaders would do. A great business leader is actually someone who does that, but in addition they do one thing um, extremely well, and extremely effectively, more effectively than anything else. They get fantastic people around them who've got great thinking in different areas, who know more about the business even than that person does. And what's the leader's role in that situation? It's actually to get them working together. It's getting a spirit of harmony. It's getting people pulling in one direction, all with a common goal. And great leaders are able to do that. The great leaders themselves will get great people around them and keep that in a sort of harmonious spirit while also you know, being sort of front and centre and communicating that, that hope and dealing in, in reality. And is that something also you do, you, you, you see other leaders around you in your industry or outside of the industry and you're like, I would love that person to work for me? Yeah, absolutely. You do that. You, find, you, you always find good people. You've got to find enthusiastic, positive people who buy into what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, look, there's two types of people, Josh, energy and drains, right? And you walk in a room and you, you can feel after 20 minutes of being with someone, did that person give you a heavy head or did that person energize you? Right? Yeah. If you've been in an interview with someone for 45 minutes and you walk out and you're a bit heavy headed, that's telling you something. Wow. Actually, this guy is actually affecting my energy. If, he's, if you come out feeling positive and radiated, actually the guy's helping you. And so you want to surround yourself with really positive people. We've only got so much energy during the day. We wake up and it diminishes mm. till we. You don't want to waste that with people who are draining you so to find those people and to recognize them and put them around you is a, is the key of i think great leadership now i really want to discuss your time at uwa yep. uh what drove your involvement with the university i mean especially in particular the business school you know you helped um donate money towards the trading and analyst room i mean what what makes someone like you to stay connected so, to uwa through these so there channels? was a guy called david mckinley who was in london and he set up a kind of uk friends of UWA which I was involved with and we had dinners once a year and it was it was I felt really good being connected to UWA I had a fantastic time here it's a wonderful campus wonderful people I look back at with some fond memories and some of my finest you know times in my life here um, and so wanting to give back is part of I think you know part of what it's about mm. you know UWA was kind to me and I want to be um, giving back so I heard through um, I think David that there was a, a, an effort here to set up a trading academy or to set up a trading room. And I thought, what a fantastic mm. idea. 
you know, trading is life. I mean, it's life and trading. It's the same thing. It's psychology. It's people. It's how you are. It's, it's fighting yourself, learning about yourself, dealing with things. So I was very keen to try and help set this up, mm. and I got behind it. But there was a number of other people with me who were behind it. In fact, I'm very honoured that the naming rights are after my late mother. It could have been after John Point. It could have been after BHP Billiton. There were mm. lots of different people, um, and it was a real privilege and honour to be to be recognised and chosen. So as part of that, I wanted to make sure that I came back regularly and was involved in helping to develop the program and a course. My vision and my goal is that in years to come, we have an academy here, we have some sort of scholarship program in London, and we take the best of the students that we can find here and even bring them to, to London to teach them how to, to trade. Um, and so being involved in this is, a, is a, you know, just a fantastic opportunity, and I'm loving it. Is there also a part of you... It's because I, I know when I speak to a lot of alumni, oh, I wish I had this when I was at uni. Is there a part of you that wishes something like this was here or do you feel like I'm glad I had the experience I had, I've learned so so much and this is just an add-on? Yeah, it's funny. I've gone through life as thinking I don't regret anything yeah. and um, it just is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had a great time here. It was what it was. I didn't know I was missing out on anything, <laughs> so it was fine. I think it's great for people today to, to have this. Mm. Um, but... It would have been nice, but hey, do you know what? So what? It's fine. Now, if you could give one piece of advice to current students right. or even recent graduates who is looking to start their own business, which is something you've, you've done yeah. quite a lot of, what would it be? That's a really hard question because one piece of advice is hard. It's like telling a batsman what's the one thing you need to do or they say, watch the ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But if you don't move your feet or you don't move your head to the ball, what are you going to do? So, so unfortunately, life, I think, is, is, is more about the ingredients that go with it rather than one rather than one thing. I, I mean, I, I can answer that in a couple of ways. One, what's the most important thing? The thing I teach my kids more than anything, and I mentioned before, mm-hmm. find something you love doing. Right? Find something you love doing. That's the most important thing. I'm always sceptical, Josh, when someone says to me, I've got a business idea, here's what I'm going to do, and two years' time, the exit plan is the following. Right? Whenever I hear someone tell me they've got an exit plan for the business, wow. I'm like, why would you want to sell something that you haven't even set up yet? Mm. Does not, if you love something, you don't think like that. You just immerse yourself in it and you go for it. So I think the first thing is don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the wrong reasons. Do it because you found an idea that you love. If you've got an idea, test it on yourself first. Right? Are you an advocate for that? Are you able to use it? Are you able to say it enhances what you do yourself? So the best people that sell things are when they've sold the idea to themselves anyway. So it's got to be for the right reasons is the first thing. The second thing, I know you asked for one thing, but there are, there are. The second thing really is actually you have to surround yourself with great people. No one's ever set up a business on their own without support of great people. Mm-hmm. If you can't get good people around you, you're finished. So you've got to learn how to deal with people and you've got to have great people around you. The third thing and the last thing on this, which people, I think where people make the biggest mistake, is they, they wait for a perfect time to start or they put things off or they're like, it's not quite the right time. I'm not quite, re- I'm not quite ready. Just start. Uh, make a start, just go for it. Because how do you see around a corner? You walk to that hall and you look the other way and you, walk, mm. you can then see that you can't, you can't see around corners. But if you walk towards it, you can. So the mistake a lot of people make is think it has to be perfect. It's got to be the right time. It's got to be, no, just make that start. And as you make that start, you learn and you iterate mm. and you go, life's like sailing. You want to get from A to B, the wind changes direction, you change the sails. That's like life and like business. So I'd say... Find something you love doing, get great people around you, and start sooner than you can. Now, I've got so many more questions I'd love to ask you, but I know you need to go because you're about to give a, give a lecture. But, Hilton, thank you That's so great. much. Hope you enjoy your time in Perth and a safe flight back home to the UK. Josh. And we'll be in touch, no doubt. Lovely chatting to you. Thanks so much.